0: This morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to introduce the verse that I'm about to begin a, a more lengthy teaching on, and then I'm going to spend some time looking at a particular verse in the Gospel of John, and I'm also probably going to reference some other verses, but we are in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, if I can find chapter 11. And so far, we've been going through the examples of faith that Hebrews chapter 11 lays out, and we've covered the concept of creation, that's a matter of faith, that you can believe that God supernaturally created everything that is. And we looked at the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah. Those are the first three examples the writer of Hebrews laid out for us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a example of faith that's unusual in chapter 11 unusual not because of who he is the person is Abraham but unusual because of how the writer of Hebrews emphasizes this man Abraham if you got your Bibles open you can follow along with me I'm going to read the text that I'm going to be teaching next which is Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 10 by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Again, we're not going to get into the substance of this this morning. This is an introductory message, but that's the next example. Abraham. We're going to see the example of Abraham, a man of faith, and what he did that is commendable and is to be our example. But if you were to look ahead, and I'll just tell you what's ahead. In verse 11, the reference is to Sarah, that she was an example of faith, obviously Abraham's wife. And then there is a discussion of some great theology, beginning at verse 13. All the way down to verse 16. And I say it's great theology. It's explaining something of how these people exercised faith, even though they were looking forward to things, and they didn't fully understand everything that it was. But then we see in verse 17, we go back to this examples of faith. And what do you see in verse 17? I'm going to read 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham was such an example of faith that twice he's listed here. Two different aspects of his life are pointed out to us and held up as an example. That's unusual. For most of the people, there's just a reference and then you move on. But here, Abraham is so central to the concept of faith that he's mentioned once, then he goes away, talks about other things, and he comes back and he mentions Abraham again as a significant character. Now, he's not mentioning again Abraham just so we know more information. As I've said repeatedly, as I've talked through this, the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bibles is stated by Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and on it goes. The whole point of this is that we look at these lives and we do what they did. That's the example. And Abraham was so significant, he's pointed out twice, two different parts of his life, two different events. So we're going to be spending a lot of time over the rest of studying Hebrews chapter 11 talking about Abraham. And so I want to say a few introductory things about him. As I even was typing these notes and beginning to think through things, I realized how significant Abraham is. We're going to talk a lot about him over a period of time. Now, Moses is mentioned twice in consecutive verses in verse 23 and 24. Look down in Hebrews 11, verse 23 and 24. We see, by faith Moses, and then verse 24, by faith Moses. So Moses has a similar emphasis. It's not quite the same because it's still all together within the same context, but Moses was mentioned. Something that is evident throughout all of Scripture is evident in the book of Hebrews. Abraham and Moses are cornerstones of biblical history. Now, I'm going to discuss Moses more when we get further along. In fact, I discussed Moses in depth. When I had a chance in Pastor Steve's absence, I preached a two-part series on Moses, the life of Moses, because Hebrews chapter 3 was holding Moses up as such an exemplar of faith. Of course, the point of Hebrews chapter 3 was Moses was this spectacular man, Jesus is greater. That was the point. Jesus is greater. As good as you think Moses is, and he was wonderful, God testified about Moses' great things, Jesus is far, far superior. And so I'm going to make a couple of statements here from my thinking it through, and these are not these are just my thoughts after processing and studying a lot of things. Abraham and Moses are the cornerstones of Jewish history, at the very least. And I would say at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews in the life and daily walk of Jewish individuals, it might be said that Moses was the most influential daily figure. Primarily because Moses was the instrument through which God gave the law. So people understood, if they read the Old Testament, they identified the fact that God used Moses to give the law. So, throughout scriptures, when you see things talking, Moses is held up as an exemplar. He is a significant person. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that apart from Jesus Christ, I think Abraham, it could be argued, is the most important person in the Bible. Now, let me qualify something. Abraham is not the greatest man who ever lived, apart from Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven eleven. You can just write down the reference. In Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So it seems like Jesus is saying that amongst normal born people, John the Baptist might have been the greatest man who ever lived. And you don't argue with Jesus. If Jesus says that, that pretty much settles the issue. So I'm not saying Abraham was the greatest man. I think Jesus says John the Baptist was the greatest man. And no one had a more comprehensive and devastating effect on mankind than Adam. Because Adam's sin ultimately wrought destruction that is unparalleled. I'm going to read a section from Romans 5, when the Apostle Paul is talking about history and what he said about the sin of Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think we could stop right there and say that is as comprehensive and devastating effect on humanity as anybody could have. So that came through Adam. And again, since Moses was considered the cornerstone of the law, he was the one God used to give the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament, but he gave the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. He may have had more significant daily impact. Yet I still maintain, the more I think and the more I study, that Abraham may be the most significant human apart from Christ who ever lived. Not the greatest, not the most destructive, but as we study Abraham, I think he is a central figure in all of human history. Not more central than Jesus Christ, but apart from Christ, I think Abraham may be one of the most influential figures in all of the world. I'm gonna come back to it. I think Genesis twelve three, and I'm gonna address this later, makes that clear. Genesis twenty two eighteen says something very similar. But even just from looking around, three of the world's major religions all trace themselves to Abraham. You look around today, Islam thinks Abraham's their father. They trace their roots to Abraham. Obviously, Judaism traces its roots to Abraham. Christianity traces its roots to whether we always think of it that way, to Abraham. But again, I'll come back and develop this a little bit more. But for our purposes, I want us to come back into thinking it like we lived at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews. And I think what I'm going to talk about now will show the central place of Abraham and the mindset of individuals such that this reference twice to Abraham is more understandable. Remember, the original audience of this letter were Jewish people. They had come at least and professed that Jesus was the Messiah, but the original recipients were Jewish people. That's why we call the book in English Hebrews, because the earliest references to it make it clear this letter was written to Jewish people. And among Jewish people, even though Moses was significant and a great man, Abraham was always the starting point. For the Jewish people, no one was greater as an ancestor than Abraham. Even though, I think Moses was very significant to them, Abraham was their patriarch. He was their beginning. He was their father. It all began with Abraham. And I want you to turn over for a moment to John chapter 8 because we're going to walk through a dialogue where Jesus was arguing with religious rulers. And I think this dialogue shows you something about the revered place of Abraham in the life and in the mindset of a Jewish individual. Now when we get to John chapter 8, Jesus is not arguing with all Jewish people. There are some various people he's interacting with, but this is a dialogue and ultimately a disagreement that stems from Jewish leadership. But Jesus is talking and he's teaching. In verse 12, he's beginning to discuss an aspect of who he is. So in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, I'm going to start reading. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we're about to see where some confusion starts in the minds of the Jewish leadership. Their hearts were darkened. Ultimately, their rage against Jesus would cause them to be shouting, crucify him. Verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. That's just the Old Testament law. You couldn't do certain things on the testimony of one witness. You had to have two witnesses. So they're coming to him and they're saying, Look, we don't have to listen to you. You don't have a second witness to back you up. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. Verse 16, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true, verse 18. I am, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So Jesus is saying, look, even by your argument, you've got to listen. My testimony is valid. Jesus doesn't need authentication. He said, I'm saying to you is true. But he said, I have a witness. I have my father who is a witness. But they weren't getting that. That didn't quite click with them. They weren't understanding this. Follow down a little bit farther to verse 23. And he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's telling a gospel message. He is really pressing them on where they would stand apart from Christ, verse 25. So they were saying to him, "Who are you?" Jesus said to him, "What have I been saying to you from the beginning?" The point is, they were as puzzled as ever. Jesus is sharing with them the gospel. He's telling them that through me is eternal life, and they're not getting it. Who in the world are you, Jesus? They were not connecting that Jesus was saying that God in heaven was his father, or if they were connecting it, they couldn't believe what they were hearing, so they thought there must be something else. Verse 26, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Verse 27, They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus is having a gospel sit-down with them. He's telling them, I am the way and the truth and the life. In so many words, they're not following it. He's telling them, look, you can believe me. The Father who sent me also testifies with me. I am valid. God is my Father. And they were clueless. Verse 28. So Jesus said when you lift up the son of man pointing obviously to his crucifixion then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own initiative but I speak these things as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me he has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him verse 30 as he spoke these things many came to believe in him. Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So at least some people hearing what Jesus was saying wanted to follow him, and Jesus was saying, understand what following me looks like. But also understand the blessings of following me, because you're going to have freedom. Now, For a Jewish person of this time to be told you will have freedom was somewhat shocking. Verse 33 of chapter 8. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus had touched a nerve. Because the Jewish people prided themselves on their perceived freedom. The fact that they would not willingly submit themselves to the rule of others was a source of pride. Now there's some forgetfulness in their history wrapped up in this statement. They had been enslaved many times. Because when they had disobeyed, God had done exactly what he said he would do in Deuteronomy and they received curses. So it's ironic that they were so unknowledgeable of history that they would say something like that, or at least ignorant of it. But in the culture and of the time, there had been a series, Pastor Steve is actually teaching on it, in Daniel chapter 2, there had been a series of people that had taken over the land of Israel. A series of people, a series of leaders of kingdoms that were taking over Jerusalem. And what you see in the intertestamental period, in other words, the period from the end of the writing of the Old Testament until the beginning of the New Testament, there was a lot going on in the land of Israel. There were different people that were ruling over the lands. There was actually even some major rebellions by the Jewish people because they didn't want to be enslaved. It goes far beyond what I can talk about. There there was a Maccabean revolt, there were all kinds of revolts, and the Jewish people prided themselves that said, we are free, we're not enslaved. It's ironic that they said that even as that, that moment they were under the domination of the Romans. But the Romans had allowed them to have a figurehead Jewish leader. And so in their minds, and their hardened hearts, they at least could say, we can do what we want to do, even though they understood they were under the thumb of Rome. So for Jesus to say, I can give you freedom, offended their national pride. It offended them. Who do you think you are? We are free. What are you going to free us from? Their national identity was challenged. And when their national identity was challenged, the first person they went to were Abraham's descendants. We're part of Abraham. This dialogue continues, verse 37. I know that you were Abraham's descendants yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. Now we know from reading along, Jesus was talking about their father, the devil. But as soon as you mention your father, what is their response? Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Here's the point. Abraham was at the root of everything they were. He was the core. He was at the identity. He was the central figure. Even as they're having this pointless dialogue because they're not understanding, or if they are understanding, they're rejecting what Jesus is telling them, they're standing up and they're waving the banner saying, we're Abraham's kids. He's our leader. The whole dialogue was puzzling to them. Jesus was talking about freedom from sins and in their sinful pride they had this notion that they were already free. Jesus had so stirred them up they turned the insults. This is like modern politics in America at this point. Verse 48 The Jews answered and said to him Do we not rightly say that you are Samaritan and you have a demon? Samaritans was a pejorative term. They were a mixed race of people. If you want to insult somebody, call them a Samaritan. So they just throw it in the gutter and they throw out a slang, a a disparaging term, and they add in demon possession just to make sure. Ultimately, Jesus went on and said, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, you dishonor me. Verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, as soon as he said that you will never see death. Once again, the, the synapse is fired and the Jewish people went bananas. He's sharing the gospel to them. He's showing them how they can have eternal life. And as soon as he says that, that somehow he can give to other people the ability not to die, their anger reached a crescendo. It went to off the charts. Verse 52... The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Verse 53. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too, who do you make yourself out to be? Here's the ultimate point. This shows the heart, even of unbelieving Judaism, Abraham was the top. And they understood Jesus making implications here. They're like, surely, you're going to say you're greater than Abraham. Come on. I said the anger reached its crescendo a little bit later when Jesus says, before, you know, before Abraham was, I am. That caused them to want to kill him. But I want you to understand, even to the original hearers of this, when you start invoking Abraham, it puts things at a different level. I think this could be an explanation of why he includes Abraham twice in two different parts, two different elements of his life. Because he is so central to everything it meant to be Jewish. On the Mount Rushmore of Judaism, the most prominent face would have been Abraham. I can assure you Moses be up there as well. But Abraham was central. He truly was their father. He truly was their first and greatest ancestor. In fact, for just a moment, turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. When I first came to Lakeside, Pastor Steve was going through the Gospel of Matthew. Some of the, some of the greatest teaching I've heard. And I'm not saying that because he's sitting over there. He is a gifted man of the word, and him teaching through that was profound. But the gospel of Matthew was pointing out that Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. Pronouncing it and proving it beyond a doubt. And it's interesting when you look at the genealogy of Jesus that's included in Matthew. Verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and so on. Where did he go to for the very beginning? Not Adam, he went to Abraham. Because he understood everything in Judaism. Everything about it began right there. He was the preeminent one. When you look at the foundational history, he was the beginning. So I'm excited to study about Abraham. I'm excited that we're going to study a lot about him I'm already distressed because I won't be able to cover everything that the Bible has about Abraham. He's that central. But as I said, I think apart from Christ, Abraham may be the most important person who ever lived. And I'm going to explain this just a little bit to close us up this morning. I hope you'll see some of these things in more detail later. But for now, I'm just realize I can't say something like that and not show some scripture. Turn over to Genesis, and I'm just going to show you one verse. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. At this time in Scripture, Abraham was still called Abram. God had not given him his new name yet. But we're actually dealing with the text on which Hebrews 11, verse 8 is based. And God has just promised Abraham, you go and I'm going to make you a great nation. And Genesis 12, 3 says this. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's why I think Abraham is the most significant person apart from Christ who ever lived. Adam brought the fall. Through the descendant of Abraham, God brought the gospel. Because the one through whom all the families of the earth could be blessed... Jesus Christ, the ultimate descendant of Abraham. This blessing which went to every tribe and tongue and nation comes through this verse, through this man. And just to make it relevant to our modern times, the turmoil in our world surrounding the Middle East that's been going on all of my life, the nation of Israel and all the hatred of that nation and all of the angst and all of the confusion and all of the turmoil I think it's tied up in this verse because God will preserve the nation of Israel certainly we receive a blessing because of Christ and we're not Jewish most of us but God still cares for his people and he still honors his promise and God still blesses those who bless his people and he still curses those who curse his people I tried to figure out a way not to say what I'm about to say but it kept coming through my mind so I thought I'll just share it for what it's worth because we're going to do a little brief aside that's tied into modern events. I'm very concerned as I have taught and I've even in times I've had the opportunity to preach concerned about the things that are happening in America as most of you are. We are spiraling downward. Pastor Steve made it clear even I think last Sunday as he talks about our embrace of wickedness the, the evidence of what is occurring in the area of the approval of homosexuality is just evidence of how far we are sliding downward it's evidence our country is in serious trouble, it's evidence that we have, it looks like we've passed a tipping point point. and there's another harbinger of doom in case you wanted to be encouraged and uplifted on the horizon as well Now, when I was a boy, I always went to church, but I didn't go to a Bible-teaching church, and I was not saved until I was an adult, but I did have a godly grandmother. In fact, if some of you have been in my office, there's a, a prayer bench there. Some people thought I was Catholic because I have a prayer bench in my office. It's just a memory. I remember seeing my grandmother. She didn't know I was watching, praying on that, and that was the first time that I consciously thought to myself, she's talking to God. So I had a godly grandmother, and I can remember... Even as I'm talking to I can remember sitting and talking with her in her kitchen in her house that was in town. And she said something at the time I didn't really understand. I've shared it with Pastor Steve before. I didn't understand it as a kid. Now I look back and I understand my grandmother's simple biblical knowledge caused her to make correct judgments. She used to tell me this. The reason America was blessed was because of one primary reason. She said because America is a friend of Israel. I didn't know anything about Genesis 12.3. None of that really made sense to me. First time I heard the nation Israel on the news, I was puzzled because on the Daniel Boone show, his son was named Israel. So I was scratching my head wondering, (laughs) what in the world are they talking about Daniel Boone's son on the news? It didn't make any sense to me. But in hindsight, when I think back on what my grandmother was saying, I think she was talking about Genesis 12.3. And I will bless those who bless you. And the harbinger of doom is we're dangerously close, it seems, more so every day of turning our back on Israel. And it will be a devastating day for America when we switch from being potential recipients of a blessing to being potential recipients of the curse because of our abandonment of the nation. But that's another message for another time. I'll just go back to what I said. The promises of God to Abraham matter today. They govern our lives today. And in fact, the promises of God that we're going to be studying about in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 10 are far-reaching. Now, let me bring this to a close and stop before I make Abraham too great and we lose the point of why Abraham is in the book of Hebrews. Abraham is not included here so that we go, wow, he got two mentions. What a great guy. Everything I shared with you this morning, even though I'm trying to stress to you to understand the place of Abraham. I'm not telling you this so that you go and make a new monument and you put Abraham up on the wall. He is included in the book of Hebrews as an example for us to follow. Because what Abraham was able to do by his faith, the book of Hebrews is teaching us we can do. Because the faith that Abraham had looking forward to the cross is ultimately the same faith that we have looking back at the cross. Don't go to Abraham and think, boy, he was in a different category, he's in a different realm, I could never do the things that he did. When it comes to walking by faith and hearing the word of God and trying to obey, you can do what Abraham could do. By God's enablement, He's given us His Spirit to indwell us. He was a man who had faith, and if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the same faith, and you can live a life every bit as pleasing to God as Abraham. Remember, Abraham's just a part of the great cloud of witnesses. He's there because what he could do by God's enablement and by God's grace, we can do. Let me close us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we sometimes can't fully comprehend your word. Lord, as I try to get my hands around Abraham and his significance and his place in the book of Hebrews, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. There's so much information and there's so much to think about and there's so many aspects of Abraham's life. And yet, Lord, you've placed him here because he was a man of faith, and your children have faith. Lord, I pray that we would see how we can emulate the life of men and women of faith. Lord, each week as we study and as we see men of faith, women of faith, Lord, you call us to follow in their footsteps. And Lord, that inevitably involves us obeying your word. Lord, we are those who call ourselves your children. We say we love you, and as your word teaches us, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's your word to us. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to diligently seek your face. Help us to diligently follow your word, not to earn our salvation, Lord, but as an expression of love for the salvation you've freely given us. We pray now, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared to hear Pastor Steve's message. Lord, I pray that you would empower him, give him great grace and mercy and wisdom to proclaim your truth. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.